Welcome to the Sale Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salestreet.org. Sorry. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, I would tell you, I am excited to be here, uh, and it's, it's going to be a great Sunday. Amen? Amen. People know how to say amen. That's a good start. Hold on a second. Okay. Before we get started, I did want to remind you about the Acts Journals. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. That means the rest of you don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to tell you. We have some journals that have not only the book of Acts broke down in it, but each page has a blank page for notes. We have some here in the front. We have some in the lobby. And we have some gentlemen that would love to give you one. If you would like one, please raise your hand. You'll be able to take notes today. Nobody? They're free. We're going to get one for you every time we start a new book of the Bible. Okay. And while they're passing it out, uh, basically we're going to go over chapter 14. And I do have one helper that's going to help me read part of that today. Mr. Liam, are you here? All right. We're going to get started with that in just a moment. And Liam, if you want, just sit right there so you won't feel like everybody's looking at you while I'm talking. All right, so y'all, y'all can be seated. So before we get started, I do want to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to think really hard, okay? Have you ever felt unstoppable? What I mean is, has there ever been a time in your life that you were so confident about something that you knew nothing would stop you? And I'm not speaking of cockiness or bullheadedness or anything like that. I'm talking about you just know that something's going to happen or you're going to be good at it because you are. I'm talking about absolute faith in something or someone of great purpose and power. So, knowing that question's out there, is it okay if I share something with you? Okay, thank you. I am very confident in my ability to accurately predict and forecast how much money my company will spend on a given project. I'm also confident that I can know how much money we'll save or overspend a budget. Do you know why? Go ahead and ask me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I am confident in that because I'm not a genius, but, and I'm not, uh, excuse me, not full of unwarranted self-confidence because I've spent over 20 years doing this and I have the right tools and the right training and the right ability to do such. It's because I've been doing so for over 40 uh, hours a week for those 20 years, honing my skills. Okay. You follow me? Right. Okay. In fact, making a good spreadsheet is one of the most fulfilling things I do at work. I love spread. Anybody else love spreadsheets? Yeah. It, it might sound a little funny, but Isaac, am I serious or am I joking? Which one? Okay. He's not wanting to talk today. That's okay. He knows I'm serious. Okay, so you might be telling yourself, Jeff, we're so glad that your work life is filled with wonderful spreadsheets. And I do think they're wonderful, by the way. I'm not just saying that. But what does that have to do with Acts chapter 14? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Thinking about what I just told you about spreadsheets. Will it serve us well to be good at what we do for a living? Yes. If it doesn't, it means you either need to button down on what you're doing or you need to find a new profession, right? Because... 
If you're not good at what you do, can you make a good living? Even if you happen to make a good living, are you going to be fulfilled? No, you're going to always feel like you're behind the eight ball, right? So knowing what you're doing and being good good at it is great. It enables you to be fulfilled in what you do because God did make us to work, right? And it also helps us to make a living, God willing, for our family and for ourselves. So knowing that and knowing how important it is to be good at what you do for a living because your whole family and life depend on it, how much more important should our commitment be to doing the things of God? So should we just be committed to serving the kingdom of God as we are at making a living, or should we be more committed? It is more. That is the right answer. We should be more committed to serving the kingdom of God than we are at how we make a living. So please ask yourself this question, and you don't have to say it out loud, okay? This is a rhetorical question. Am I more committed to God than I am to whatever just went into your mind? That would be something like work, family, school, marriage, etc. If you answer no, then you have something to reflect on, to think on, and to pray about, right? The answer is yes, you do. Okay, so do you think it's an accident that I'm good at my job, or is it because I've had years of practice and training? That's right. So when we go to Acts 14, we're going to talk about Paul and Barnabas. Continuing from what uh, Paul Pettifer preached last week. A lot of P's there. Anyway, uh, did these men just rely on the Holy Spirit or did they have to put the work in to become proficient at their calling and mission? They had to put in the work also, right? They made a regular practice of sharing the gospel and making disciples. So what am I saying here? All right, here we go. The more we practice our faith by discipling others, also being discipled ourselves, the more passionate we will be to use our faith so that our faith will continue on in our family and in those affected by us as we pass on from this earth. That's the way the Great Commission will continue on, right? Follow? Yes? No? Okay, good. Likewise, the more we practice sharing the gospel with the lost around us, the hungrier we get to see our fellow image bearers come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the preaching and teaching of Paul and Barnabas is the same Holy Spirit that will empower me and you to minister either to our family members, our co-workers, or whoever God brings us to that is not a Christian already, okay? So now we're going to bring up a special reader, special guest, Mr. Liam. Please come up here. He's going to read the first half for us, and then uh, I will finish off because I did have two readers line up, but... uh, one of them, their parents, is not feeling too well today, so y'all be in prayer for them. Just read right here, buddy. Wait, oh, let's get that a little closer. Don't stare. Speak into it. Now? No? Well, shucks. It's not on. Ah. Nope. Just stare at us, it's okay. I don't know what I'm doing here. Okay. Oh, there we go. Go ahead, Liam. Now at Laconium entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in a such way. 
way a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania, and the surrounding country. And there were continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw that Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying at Laconium, The gods have, came, gods have come down to, to us in the likeness of men. Ornamus, they called, Zeus of Paul Herms because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. Now we're going to stop at this awkward moment because I did have two speakers originally lined up. So while y'all are uh, waiting in this awkward silence, we are going to give Mr. Liam a hand. Thank you for reading for us. Awesome, dude. He practiced this week just to be able to help us out, and I do appreciate that. And so I'm going to read the rest of this in a little deeper voice than normal, so maybe you won't get tired of hearing me talk. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they came down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Again, I want to thank uh, Mr. Liam for reading for us. Appreciate that, buddy. So... Paul and Barnabas are in a place called Iconium. The trip to Iconium comes on the heels of a trip that Mr. Pettifer walked us through last week. Their previous stop seemed to bear much fruit in the Jewish and Gentile communities, but it was thwarted and cut short by the jealousy of the Jewish religious leaders in that area. Paul and Barnabas performed signs and wonders with witnesses to the truth of their message. 
the crux of their message we call the gospel. That's the main point, main thing they shared. Unbelieving Jews likely shared a message of legalism and rule following because that's what it had come to at that point, by the time the gospel had been shared and the church started after Christ's resurrection. So in other words, they were most likely preaching a works-based salvation, and that's something that has never been biblical. Following the rules will not save you. Only the gospel saves you. So now we move on to chapter 14. And I'm not going to rehash every verse, but what I am going to do is talk about some portions that really stuck out to me that I want to share with you, okay? We're going to begin looking at verses 1 through 5, and I'm just going to read the highlighted things I want to point out to you. Okay, in verse 1, we see a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, and that would be against Paul and Barnabas and anyone else that was there helping them. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. And here we see that just like in chapter 13, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. An attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them. They learned of it ahead of time and fled, and they continued to preach the gospel wherever they went to. So once again, the non-believing Jew and Greek leaders stir up the citizenry, causing trouble for Paul and Barnabas, causing division. Rather than quitting or giving up, Paul and Barnabas remain in the area preaching and teaching. God also grants them signs and wonders. These signs and wonders act as confirmation that what they are preaching is true. While many Jews and Gentiles believed, they did face opposition. In fact, Paul and Barnabas found out about a plot to mistreat them and stone them, so they had to go. So here's point number one. Everybody say number one. Thank you. When the church grows, her enemies take notice. So here's point number one again if you want to write it down or type it in your phone or whatever. When the church grows, her enemies take notice. So it's kind of a dumb question, but why does the enemy take notice? Well, he knows his time is short. He knows that Jesus came to destroy his works, and we see this in 1 John 3, second part of verse 8. It says, For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so i got a few questions for you, and just just in case you don't know, most of the answers are going to be yes. So, here we go. Were Paul and Barnabas following God's will? Yes, they were. Thank you. Were they right to leave those cities when they found out trouble was going to be brewing? Yes. Did they live to fight another day? They did. Did they quit their mission, which was following the Great Commission? No. Wherever they go, they continue to spread the gospel and make disciples. So it sure would be nice if I could just tell you that uh, anyone who's a follower of Jesus will never have a day of trouble or worry. But if I said that, I would be lying to you. Because that's, that's not how it goes. And this is something Tim, uh, wherever Tim's at, I pointed like he's over here, wherever he's at. We were talking this morning in his class that Christians are going to face opposition. We're in the will of God. When we are in the will of God, rather. Because that's just how it goes. That's how God uh, told us it would be. In fact, many times it will look like we're on the losing side of things. So what do we do? Do we quit? Do we take our ball and go home and quit playing with everyone else? No. We have to keep pressing forward. 
We have to keep sharing the gospel and making disciples. Now, in verses 8 through 10, Paul comes upon a man that was lame from birth. Paul notices that he has faith, and so Paul heals him. Okay? So, I was wondering why they started off with a healing in this place as I was doing my studies. And um, this is a quote from the Evangelical Commentary on the Bible. Because what I'm getting at is normally they go preach in a synagogue, you know, make disciples, make converts, and then uh, go from there. But it appears here that they began by healing someone first. And that's the reason for this quote I'm about to share with you. Lystra apparently boasted no synagogue. So Paul's approach is different. The springboard here for the gospel is the healing of a man lame from birth rather than starting off with the Old Testament scriptures like he would if he was in a synagogue. All right, then we're going to go through uh, highlights between verses 11 and 15. Whenever they heal this man, they don't say, oh, man, there must be a God. This man's healed. Listen to what these people do. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, uh, apparently there was a temple to Zeus in that town. He brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds to Paul and Barnabas because he thought they were Zeus and Hermes. When the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring the good news, meaning the gospel, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So Paul and Barnabas are trying to share the gospel, and it goes totally wrong, goes totally off the rails. So here's point number two. Everybody say number two. When the gospel is shared, some people will not get it. Okay, apparently a lot of people here did not get it. And another thing that was brought out uh, in our Tuesday meeting before this uh, service was that uh, possibly they didn't know what was going on until the oxen and garland was brought out because they did not speak the local language. And uh, the people were speaking, of course, in their native tongue. Okay, so at this point, they're speaking to a Gentile audience as opposed to an audience made up of Jews and Jewish converts. Pause for water. Okay. Whenever a man is healed... It is supposed to be evidence of who affirming their message. It's supposed to be evidence of God affirming the message they've been preaching. But instead, they're mistaken for gods of the Greek pantheon in human form. So they mistook Barnabas for Zeus. Uh, If you don't know anything about Greek mythology, have you ever heard of Hercules? The Rock played Hercules a few years ago, right, in a movie? Okay, that is Hercules' dad and the head of the Greek gods, okay? Excuse me, okay? And then... uh, They mistook Paul for Hermes. Anybody familiar with FTD flowers? Anybody? You know the little man doing like this with like a plate on his head? That is Hermes or uh, Mercury, okay? Another character you might be familiar with would be Flash from superhero comics. When he first came out in the 40s or 50s, he was dressed exactly like Hermes, okay? So the priest of Zeus was about to offer animal sacrifices to them. And why did this happen? Well, again, in our Tuesday meeting, Kent brought out that in his studies, Zeus and Hermes had walked in this land at one time according to a local myth. So they see these men doing signs and wonders. They're like, they don't think, oh, wow, there's a creator that empowered them to do this. No, oh, 
oh, this is Hercules, excuse me, Hercules' dad, Zeus, and Flash, or Hermes. So it's a case of mistaken identity due to misinterpretation of the evidence. And I'll say that again because I bumbled it up. It's a case of mistaken identity due to misinterpretation of the evidence. So God leaves evidence of his existence throughout the universe, throughout the world, even in our own bodies. He tells us in his word that people often misinterpret the evidence of his hand in creation for someone or something else. Uh, and if you want to write this down, Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So God does leave us evidence plainly seen by everyone. Not everyone interprets the evidence correctly. So let me ask you this. Is that God's fault? No, it's not God's fault. So I would like to give you some concrete examples so you can clearly see what I'm talking about. Okay, no matter what you believe uh, in creation or evolution, there are similarities of some sort between apes and humans. Okay? All right, so thinking about that, Some people will look at the likenesses or things that are the same between apes and humans and say, wow, these similarities show that they must have been made by the same designer or creator. That's what I would say, okay? While other people will look at the same evidence, and by the way, design shows that there must have been a what? Designer, that's right, so remember that. Okay, anyway, others will look at the same things we're talking about, the likenesses or things that are similar between apes and humans, and say, wow, we must have descended from their ancestors, like Chimp 2.0. Okay, and that's, there are differences. Same evidence, different outcomes because of interpretation. So, here's something else. Did you know that the universe, not just Earth, not just our solar system, the entire universe is finely tuned so that life can exist on this planet? It's true. Just to clue you in, I'll share a quote uh, from one of the most brilliant minds of maybe all time, at least of the 20th century, and that would be Dr. Stephen Hawking. I believe he was a a professor of physics or something of that sort at uh, Cambridge University before he passed away. And there's been a movie about him lately that I, I never watched. But I do want to share this pretty cool quote from you. And remember... Mr. Hawking definitely did not believe in a God of any sort, as far as I know. He was definitely an atheist. This is his quote. The universe and the laws of physics seem to have been specifically designed for us. If any one of about 40 physical qualities had more than slightly different values, and he's talking about several decimal points worth of value, okay? More than slightly different values, life as we know it could not exist. Either atoms would not be stable, or they would not combine into molecules, or the stars would not form the heavier elements, or the universe would collapse before life could develop, and so on. So even though Mr. Hawking does not believe in a designer, he sees that the universe is so finely tuned that if any one of 40 different things were slightly different, the universe would not be able to exist, and therefore life would not be possible. 
So, knowing that, some will look at the complex design and fine-tuning of the universe, which is made specifically for life to appear on this planet, and they'll say, wow, it's so amazing how nothing exploded into everything we see. And after billions of years, the stardust turned into me. Wow, how cool. While others will look at the complex design and fine-tuning of the universe, which is specifically made for human life and animal life on this planet, and they'll say, wow, it's so amazing how intricately designed God made everything. So do you see what I'm talking about? There's different ways to interpret the same information? Okay. Knowing that, we're going to get back to Paul and Barnabas. They quickly found out that not everyone will get it. Before they knew what else was going on, the people worshipped them like gods. So how did they react to that? Did they say, worship me? No. They were like, what are y'all doing? We're human just like you. Don't do this. Stop the idolatry. Repent. So unfortunately, people tend to worship the created rather than the creator. The last time we saw someone receive worship like a god who was not a god was Herod, and that was at the end of Acts chapter 12. I believe Lucas preached that a few weeks ago. Uh, anyway, unlike these two men, Herod did not stop the worship. And I'm going to remind you about what happened if you don't remember. It's found in Acts 12 verse 23. This doesn't say weeks later or days later. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So as soon as he accepted the worship that only God should get, he dropped and turned into worm food. That's what happened to that man. Paul and Barnabas definitely have a different reaction. So whenever someone tells you how mean or uncaring God is to unbelievers, just remember this. First of all, God is in charge. Are we in charge? No. I like to think I am, but really, I know I'm not in charge. I have control over mm, maybe that much, probably not even that much of my life. But God does give us plenty of evidence to show that he's the creator all throughout the universe, even in our own bodies and in the world around us. God shows himself to us. So unbelievers are without excuse. And that's what he told us uh, in the scripture we shared earlier. All right, now looking at verses 16 through 18, again, I'll read the highlights. He did not leave himself without witness. And this is Paul talking to the people that just tried to worship him and Barnabas as two Greek gods. He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So after Paul is trying to get them to understand the truth, he also says, look, even though you're not worshiping the right God, he still allows you to have seasons and harvest and, you know, the, the good things of everyday life. And they still barely kept the people from uh, worshiping and offering sacrifices to them. So we often see that, not just in our own day, but throughout all history, one day you can be a hero, the next day you're zero, Right? So not long after that, we'll go into verses, uh, excuse, verse 19 of this same chapter. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So I guess they decided he really wasn't Zeus or they wouldn't have stoned him. And Kent was telling me the other day that it says they supposed he was dead. It means they thought they had beat the life out of him. 
They didn't just throw a little pebble at him. They thought they stoned him till he breathed no more. And then they left and somehow Paul got up, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But before we do, here's point number three. Everybody say number three. Suffering is an expected part of the believer's life. And I thought it was cool that Tim uh, spoke about that earlier in Sunday school because he didn't know what I was, my points were. Okay, I didn't share those the other day. But uh, anyway, this is spelled out plainly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And then we go down to verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we see in this, not only does God expect suffering and tell us we should expect it, he tells us to be ready to share and defend our faith. Why? Because when we go through suffering, we should not go through it the same way as people that have no hope. We have a great hope found in Christ Jesus and what he's preparing for us when eternity comes. So because people should want to know how we are so joyful, even if we're not happy, we're still joyful because we know what Christ has done for us and what he's promised. That should reflect when we go through suffering so other people that are not Christians should see that and say, well, I know it's not them, but there's something different about them. I want to know about that. And that's when the door opens for us to share Christ with them. Or at least that's how it happens a lot of times. Our time of triumph and victory is not now, but in the life to come. And Paul himself freely tells the Corinthians about the suffering he went through in this very moment we're talking about uh, in Lystra. So in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not the fun kind. The kind that kills you. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So Paul's just sharing with them that... Uh, Suffering's going to happen. Here are some specific examples I have been through myself. And one of those he shared was, of course, uh, being stoned to death, or that's what they thought they had done to him anyway. All right, now we're going to go down to verses 20 to 22. And this is after Paul was stoned and they thought there was no more breath in his life. He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples... They returned to Lystra. So Paul went to another city. I'm sure he got healed up. But while he was doing so, they still preached the gospel, made disciples. And then once the disciples were in a good state, they went back to the place he had just got. Uh, let's see. First, he got mistaken for a Greek God, and then he got stoned to death. He went back to that place because God had a mission for him to accomplish. And he wasn't going to let anything stand in his way. He also went to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, through much trouble, we must enter the kingdom of God. So, I want you to notice something. We talk about sharing the gospel a lot, because that's one of our main things we're supposed to do as Christians, but that's not all they were doing. They were also making disciples. They didn't just preach and leave. They preached, people were interested, they prayed with them, talked with them, taught them about the word of God, and made disciples. That way, they could plant a church and then move on to another city. And that is how the gospel spread all around the world, and how it still spreads. 
They also went back to the cities where they had planted churches, including the ones that had chased them away, not only in chapter 14, but also uh, chapter 13. And so here's point number four. Everybody say number four. Never quit. Never stop. Never give up. So why did these guys keep going? It obviously wasn't for fame or glory or money. They got chased out of cities, mistaken for Greek gods, and beaten wherever they went to. It was out of love that they had not only for their fellow man, but for their God, the one true God. And uh, I'm reminded also about the love we as believers are supposed to have for one another. 1 John 4:11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One of the ways we love each other is through community. And so I encourage you to, if you don't have any friends in this church, you need to start making friends. And we would like to be friends with you so that you do not go through suffering alone because we're supposed to be there for each other. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And we're already to point number five. Everybody say number five. Fast and pray for your leaders. We've been obedient. And I mean we as a church. We followed the model given to us in the book of Acts. We continue to see it over and over. That where they go, uh, God appoints leaders over each church. He appoints both elders and deacons because it takes us working together as a team to take care of the spiritual and physical needs of the church. So I would ask you to not only pray for us elders, but also the deacons because uh, we all have a big load to share. And by God's grace, we want to do that with excellence. Amen? We want to do a good job, and we also want to emulate the, the examples given to us not only by Christ, but by the leaders he appointed in the early church shown to us in the New Testament epistles and so forth. We need your prayers, and we ask that you also set aside time to fast for us, uh, you know, as long as that's good with your uh, medical conditions or whatever. Uh, the work of the church is important. Fasting and praying will keep us in line with God's will for our lives and also our congregation. And then we go to verses 24 to 28. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, now this is after they returned from this long journey, okay? Paul and Barnabas returned. They arrived and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So here's point number six. Everybody say number six. Thank you. When we follow Jesus' call to live out the Great Commission, God gets the glory and we get to participate. I'll say that one more time. When we follow Jesus' call to live out the Great Commission, God gets the glory, we get to participate. And that's a great thing. So... It's more of look at what God has done as to look as, as let me say it again. It's more of what, look what God has done as opposed to saying, wow, look what I did. If we all look at what I did, it's not going to be very much. But when we see what God has done, it is an awesome thing that we have all got to participate in. This should remind us of things God has done um, in our own church. Uh, for one thing, we've got Samaritan's Purse here for many years, right? That's a good thing. We don't get the glory for that. We're just thankful that they're partnering with us to help our city. We also see what God's doing through Dewana's Closet and Food for Thought. And uh, if you didn't catch any of that, you can watch the end of the message from last week. Of course, after you watch the first part, if you weren't here. And uh, what can we do with all this? So I'm going to close. And after I close, uh, the children are going to come in here. and We're going to have a time of prayer for those returning to school. Uh, but... 
I want to wrap this up by giving you some things to ponder and pray about, including some quotes from the Prince of Preachers. And who's that, Kent? The Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. I said that because Kent is a big fan of Spurgeon. I don't want to tell y'all. I like to be positive and everything, but some of these quotes are really going to hit you, hit you in the gut because it did to me when I was preparing this. So, but, but that's not bad, though. Sometimes we need those reminders. So my question is, are you reading and studying your Bible like you ought to? Are you prepared to follow the Great Commission? And with that, I'm going to follow a Spurgeon quote regarding the, the neglect of Bible reading. Now listen to what Spur, Spurgeon is telling us. There is dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Ooh, I hope you're reading that word. Ooh. I read mine, but man, it makes me want to say, Ooh, I better do some more. <laughs> okay. Are you prepared to face suffering and rejection for the sake of the cross? Is the gospel alive inside of you? And so first would be a Spurgeon quote regarding Christ's death. Nothing puts life into men like a dying savior. Nothing puts life into men like a dying savior. Now here's another quote regarding discipleship. If persecution should arise, you should be willing to part with all that you possess, with your liberty, with your life itself, for Christ, or you cannot be his disciple. In other words, Christ has to truly be the center of your life. Are you prepared to faithfully follow God's will? Are you prepared to do what it takes to see our congregation succeed, including fasting, praying, and sharing God's goodness with others? So here's another Spurgeon quote regarding faithfulness. I know of nothing which I would choose to have as the subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death, still to be a soul winner, still to be a true herald of the cross, and testify the name of Jesus till the last hour. It is only such who in the ministry shall be saved. Okay, so I want to ask the band to come up. I believe they got another song for us. And uh, I just want to take a moment to pray. If, if anyone needs prayer or would like prayer, we're going to take a moment to pray for you. Um, even if you just want to stay in your seat, God knows who, who needs things. So please bow your heads with me as they prepare to, to do a song for us. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here in this time. Uh, we thank you that we're able to congregate openly. We thank you that we're able to be here masked and unmasked and at home and still be a congregation. We thank you for reminding us today how important it is to carry on the Great Commission, whether it be in our own homes, at our jobs, or with those that uh, we meet on a daily basis. And Lord, if there be anyone here that doesn't know what the gospel is, that doesn't know what Jesus' salvation means, I pray that we would be a witness to them and that we would be used for your glory to uh, bring them the right information they need to make the decision to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray all these things in your name.